As we began learning last Sunday, and as we'll continue learning this week, we desperately need the ministry of the Holy Spirit in all that we do. So as a prayer, to see if we could sing what we sang last Sunday. Make this your prayer, Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. desperately need the illuminating ministry the revealing ministry the enabling us to hear the gospel not just with our ears but with our hearts ministry we need you we are hungry and thirsty for your supernatural work that's beyond just us. So regardless of where we are in this journey, in our relationship, in our awareness, in our intimacy, in our appropriating work of you, Holy Spirit, we pray, we pause, and we acknowledge that we need you. We need you in every way, every day, every moment. So teach us today. Fill us today. Speak to us today. We need you. And all God's people said, I want to continue to do that, church, as we go through this sermon series. I want to continue to learn how to acknowledge and pause and appropriate the work of the Holy Spirit. And for those of you that are a bit freaked out, don't worry. We'll be fine. And for those of you that are finally like, yes, I was wondering about this church, you'll be encouraged. Before we launch in today, a couple of things. One, two things are happening this summer that's never happened before. Number one, your pastor will actually be around the entire summer. Actually, that's not, some of you are like, Kayla, what's, what's that all about? Why? I'm around. I just didn't, I was around. I just didn't come to church. 
just kidding. Uh, I, it's almost worse, I know. Um, and I am excited. I'm looking forward to being around you guys. Um, I really am. Um, coupled with that, what's also happening is we are, and many of you have heard, going through a relaunching of our small group ministries. And I'm so excited. Let me tell you what our goal is. And you may have heard otherwise. I'm going to correct the perception today. Our goal is that our church would be the kind of church where at any point during the year, if I walked up to you and said, who are you doing life with at this church? You could point to a group of people and say, I'm doing life with them. Not just randomly, not when there's convenience, but intentionally, regularly. We call it small groups, call it whatever you want to, but that you could point to a group of people and do that. And our goal is that 100% of you that are committed to this church, that you would do that. Okay, that's our goal. So you're going to hear more about the small groups and how to sign up, various groups that are being launched. I'm looking forward to launching a group with a couple of people. We're going to read The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander as we talk about the issue of race and justice in this country. That's going to be starting up in June. There's lots of other small groups that are going to be launched, and I'm excited about doing life together as a church. Amen? So you'll hear more information about that. Secondly, um, today is Mother's Day. And I, you know, I struggle with the whole Mother's Day thing because it's a made-up holiday. And, uh, you know, the whole focus, hey, focus in on one day. We all know that it's not just one day. Frankly, if we're appreciating moms one day, that's really an insult because they do so much every day, every week, the entire year. But what we do at this church is we don't want to be the typical church that highlights moms as if they're just one small segment of people because there are lots of people who, I'm going to put this in quotes, mother people in a way that that's not a typical traditional mom. You know what I mean? And we want to acknowledge them and thank them today. So I read this poem, and some of you know where this is coming because I do this every year. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you, and there were many of you for whom that's true. To those who lost a child this year, We mourn with you, and there's some people in our church for whom that's true. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we so appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods and tears and disappointment, we Walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those of you who are foster moms and mentor moms and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with their children, we celebrate you. And to those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, this day, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, there's some of us sitting here today lost our moms this year. We grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, And overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who have aborted children, we remember them and you on this day. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, 
You mourn that life has not turned out the way you longed for it to be. To those who are step-parents, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envision lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. Those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, so I am told. We have real warriors in our midst. We thank you and we remember you. Happy Mother's Day. We began the sermon series on the Holy Spirit, and here's the entire framework and, and premise foundation. The Christian life is only possible when the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us lives through us, this Christian life for us. The Christian life is only possible when the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us lives through us this Christian life for us. Let me say this together. Can I put up the slide? This Christian life is only possible when the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us lives through us this Christian life for us. We're going to say it again. The Christian life is only possible when the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us lives through us this Christian life for us. How many of you actually believe this? No, I'm serious. Raise your hand if you actually believe this to be true. Okay. Don't take my word for it. Take the words of Jesus. John 15, 5, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Read the next part with me in case you're not convinced. Ready? Here we go. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you and I not do some things, not do most things, but we can do nothing. And I am telling you the reason why I am so passionate about this is because I have struggled embracing this all of my life. Anybody else? I have struggled believing this and getting around this truth. And so what happens to me is, and this might be like two of us this morning, so I'm preaching to myself, when I confuse this, I confuse the difference between us working for God versus God working through us. I confuse the difference between us working for God and God working through us. And if you're sitting there going, they're one and the same, you are completely missing the essence of the Christian life. I tell you what, see, see, I preached on the book of Acts for three years, and some of y'all were part of that, and you think, goodness, it's over, right? I preached on the book of Acts for three years, and you know, here's what I realized. Even if I preach the book of Acts for three years, it's kind of like what I tried to talk about last week. It's not just to have revelation, the Word of God, if there is no illumination of the Holy Spirit on that revelation. 
You could know the Bible, but that Bible will not come alive if not for the Holy Spirit. Put it another way, it's not enough to have just the inspired word if you do not have an inspired heart. So I preached the book of Acts for three years, and I missed this truth, or I have a hard time with it. Listen to what Act, uh, uh, Luke says. In the book, in the first book, O Theophilus, he's talking about the book of Luke that he wrote, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given command through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. The first book that Luke refers to, Dr. Luke, is the book of Luke. And he's saying here, in that first book, I record all that Jesus did and taught on his earthly ministry. And in Acts, he says, now I want to recount to you what Jesus continues to do and teach no longer in his incarnated body, but through his spirit in the church. Come again. Here's what Luke is saying. It's not that Jesus, you know, when he was on earth, did his ministry in his earthly body, and then now, as he's gone up to heaven, the church does his work. Luke is saying, when Jesus was on earth, he did his ministry in his incarnated body, but now Jesus continues to do his work through his spirit in the church. Do you get the difference? Do not misunderstand the book of Acts as being, he's out of heaven and he gave us mission and let's go for it. That leads to us working for God mentality in which, let me ask you a question. Who is it up to? You, me, who gets the credit? You, me, who's in charge of outcomes? Us for God, we get the pressure, we're in charge of outcomes, and we take the glory. What happens when it's but God through his spirit? Who gets the credit? Say it, who gets the credit? God does. Who's in charge of outcomes? God is. Good Lord. Many of y'all, like me, are sitting here right now. I'm telling you, you know this mentally. Your attitude approach in life, in your mission is, I am working for God. God's kind of up there, something. Versus, no, he, by his spirit, is working through me. Acts tells this mind-blowing story of how a group of people, ordinary, regular, blue-collar people filled with the Holy Spirit, turned the world upside down, right? But here's the thing. Many New Testament scholars pointed out, when the early Christians gave the book the name, they got it wrong. They call it Acts of the Apostles. It really should be Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because even a casual reading, it's the Spirit who leads. It's the Spirit who guides. It's the Spirit who empowers. He's on the move. The disciples are just trying to catch up. God through you or you for, you still don't believe me. Okay, let me show you. 
Romans 10, 14, Paul talking about sharing, preaching the gospel, getting out. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach to them unless we go? Paul doesn't say, how can they hear unless we go? He says, how can they hear unless what? They are sent. Paul's eyes are always on God to send, not on us to go. Because unless the Holy Spirit does ascending, our going does absolutely nothing. So think about you in your workplace. And whether your posture is me for God or God, me, God, through me. God never commanded you to go and save the world for him. Show me a passage where it says that. Matthew 28. Don't misread that. God never commands us to go and save the world for him. He calls us to follow him as he saves the world through us. Salvation from start to finish is God's work. I'm telling you the way to the mission. Think about your workplace. Think about the ministry. Think about what God has called you to. The weight of the mission to save the world sits on God's shoulders, not ours. God's in charge of outcomes, not us. Is that good news? If it was up to us, not only would that crush you, not only would that crush me, if it was up to us, not only would that flame and burn us out, trust me, I've been there, done that. We will also take the glory for ourselves. And God says, I will not share my glory with anybody. His glory he will not give to another. And that's why he told the disciples to wait. He said, wait. Before you go, wait, but Jesus, there are millions of people that don't know you. I know. There are millions of orphans that need to be adopted. I know. There are millions of people in slavery for crying aloud. He says, I know, but I don't want you to move unless you receive the Holy Spirit from an eye. Why? Because he wanted them to realize that the mission that he gave to them is not something they could accomplish for him, but something that he must accomplish through them. Jesus said what? I will build my church. Who? I and the gates of hell will not stand up against it. Not you will build my church and the gates of hell will admire it. God through you. Not you working for God. (sighs) Man. Take an inventory of your life. Are you burned out lately? Family, job, ministry? Because you've taken upon yourself burdens that only belong to God? Hello? Hi, Katie. All the way from Colombia. So good to see you. In your zeal to work for God, have any of us made the mistake of trying to be God? God commanded and commissioned only one Messiah. It's not me. And it's not you. He calls us to be servants, not fellow saviors. He leads, we follow. He commands, we obey. He supplies. Thank you, Jesus. We steward. He delivers, we worship. Do you know what the beauty of the gospel is? The gospel is he doesn't need us, but he wants us. 
Can I say it again, Cece? The beauty of the gospel comes and goes, God doesn't need you. To which some of us are like, that's bad news. No, it isn't. It's wonderful news. Because he wants you. He doesn't have a lack. Please, oh my goodness. I am talking to a church full of highly idealistic, I want to change the world for Jesus people. <laughs> and I'm your pastor. It's a bad combination, by the way. Um, we have a church like that. And, and I have to remind you and me that we don't do this because God has some lack that we're trying to make up. You know what I mean? He doesn't need to borrow cash from you. He's not going broke. Hey, can you spot me some cash? He's not broke. I don't have any, you know. Oh, if you don't teach there, <gasps> what's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. He's got a thousand people lined up that could do better than you. But he says, I want you, though. If you have a relationship like that, it will change you. You don't need me, but you want me. Yeah, because all of our relationships in this world, it's the, I really need you. I don't know if I want you, but I really need But God comes and says, I don't need you, but I want you to join me in this work. Oh, you for God or God through you? Which is it? I tell you what, that, that, that I wanted to spend some time talking about this morning as we continue the sermon series because the reason why we're talking about this sermon series, although it's intentional, we've sort of been given, as I mentioned last week, a self-help approach to God and Christian living. You know, and the approach is God did his part. He saved you from the penalty of sin. So now it's your turn. And so here's the weirdest thing. How, so how do we go from, listen, how do we go from I can do nothing to enter into this relationship with you, God. There's nothing that I can do to earn forgiveness and to be reconciled with God. How do we go from there's nothing that I can do to make this work and two hours later going, well, thank you for that. Now it's my turn. How, how does that happen? And Paul says over and over again, that is not the way it's supposed to be. He says, the way you began this work, they will be in this journey in faith is the way you continue it. The way the Holy Spirit comes into your life is the way that you continue to relate to him. So the good news, as we talked about last week, isn't God coming to us and going, I saved you. Here's the Bible. There's a world out there. Go do it. But God says, at the moment of conversion and salvation, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. At the moment of salvation, comes into your life. Not only does he save us from the penalty of sin, but he fills us, empowers us. He saves us from the power of sin enable us to live the Christian life, to live the Christian life in its entirety. And Holy Spirit enables us to do that which, how many of you guys innately right now just kind of know this, like, yeah, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, I, I'm, I'm a goner, yes? Just not, we, for many of us, for many of us, the challenge in this sermon series is to come around this thing. And I'm telling you right now, and I said to some people last week, after a certain, I'm like, I, I'm realizing that our church knows a lot of information theology, but man, this is one sermon series, like all the others too, but this is one sermon series I'm being reminded, I can't argue good enough to make you believe. He has to. And that drives me crazy. 
I went home Sunday night, and I was like, God, you mean I can't preach good enough to convince them? No. You mean I can't find enough Bible and insight? No. I can't find the perfect illustration? No. And that drives me crazy. Because I, <laughs> I want to argue you into believing. I want to I debate you. Into, I want to show you into believing. I want to teach you. And God, the Holy Spirit, was like, you can't. I'm just sure that's driving me crazy. But it's all driving me to my knees. So for those of you that are sitting there going, I don't know if I still believe it. Huh? It's got to be God's word. So Jesus comes and says, John 14, 16, and I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. We're laying foundations. We're laying the building blocks we said last week that the Holy Spirit is God. Holy Spirit is God. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus says, I am so one with the Holy Spirit that when the Holy Spirit comes into your life at the moment of conversion, I come into your life. And just as he could say to the disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, he says, when you hear from the Holy Spirit, you are hearing from Jesus. Secondly, he says, the Holy Spirit is a he. The Holy Spirit is a person. Holy Spirit's not a thing. It's not a force. It's not even a power in it. Holy Spirit is a person who acts and thinks and feels and moves. And this is huge because, listen, listen, Holy Spirit's not some ethereal thing out there. Holy Spirit is a person who desires a personal relationship with you. Jesus didn't come and saying, here's a list of teachings. Follow it. Do it. He says, follow what? Me. He didn't give us an assignment and a bunch of commands that's executed. He says, follow me. A relationship with a person. A relationship with a person. And why is this? Why am I talking about this? I'll tell you why we're starting off on this. You ready? Listen. Because I've gotten some emails and like, Holy Spirit, why are we, where is this going? I don't know how to relate. The entire Christian life can be boiled down to this. Are you walking or are you being led by the Holy Spirit? That's the entire Christian life. The entire Christian life that Paul talks about and all the other details we have, the way that the Bible talks about the Christian life, of how we follow Jesus, how we live the Christian life, is in terms of walking according to the Spirit or being led by the Spirit. Colossians 2, 6. As you have received Christ Jesus, Lord, so what? Say it with me. Walk in Him. Romans 8, 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The entire Christian life, I'm telling you, all the how to, discerning God's will, future, power for mission, healing, all the things the Paul Bible says is about walking and being led. And it's in terms of that that all these other things we get clarity on. Being led, I love that. Being led, walking with someone assumes a continuing relationship. It implies fellowship. It brings to mind when you're led, cooperation. It brings to mind sensitivity, common goals. When someone is being led by somebody, there has to be trust, even to the point of dependency. It's kind of like when I went to go see Janice at her downtown office building. <laughs> I go downtown, these humongous offices, like 90-some floors. It's intimidating when you walk into a building and you go, where is room, da-da-da-da, whatever. 
and they go, well, you just go down the hall, take a right, and then go about 30 yards and take another left. There'll be another elevator. There's five elevators, actually, but you've got to take the one in the middle. And then when you get on the elevator, remember, you can't go to the 50th floor. You, gotta... you know what's easier when somebody goes, room 1601, Janice, I know. Follow me. Boy, it's a nice building. I know. Isn't that a nice building? What are we doing? Oh, we got to wait for the elevator. There's like five of these. I know, but this one right here, this will take us to 16. Ding. Hold on a minute. Okay, let's go. All right. Here's room 1601. Thank you so much for that leading. See, some of us have this idea that God comes and gives us an instruction, direction manual and says, Read it and figure it out. But the way that the Bible pictures the Christian life is one in which, follow me. Why are we stopping? We just got to pause for a moment. Why? You'll see. Okay, now it's time to go. Hurry up a little bit. Come on. Slow down. Slow down. What if your Christian life was supposed to be a relationship with the Holy Spirit where he leads? And check this out. He knows you perfectly. He knows you. He knows your temperament. He knows you're a slow walker. He knows some of you are fast walkers. He is so sensitive to your strengths, your weaknesses. He knows you intimately. And that leader, that guide says, here's what the Christian life looks like. You ready? But that marriage thing, I know you're worried about 10. Follow, follow, follow. Led, following. What if that's how you were supposed to figure out what you're supposed to do five years from now? What if your answer to who am I supposed to marry is found in that? What if your answer to my career is was found in that? What if your answer to all the questions you have is about daily, moment by moment, leading, following the Spirit? Well, it's not. A what if, actually, that is what the Bible says the Christian life is supposed to be. You want me to show you? You want me to show you? Galatians 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And by the way, this is just an overarching thing. We're going to come back to Galatians 5 like, oh, the Holy Spirit will tell me, okay, at some point. And we're, we're going to go ahead and dig deeper into that. Let me show you a sensitive, let me show you what the definition of walking for in Spirit is. Read this with me. Here we go. Ready? Walking, read it with me. Ready? Here we go. Walking according to the Spirit is living my life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that His influence and His leading dominate my entire being. Walk by the Spirit. What is walking by the Spirit, Peter? It's walking my life, living my life, sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings. How many of you have just are blown away by the idea that you could hear from God? Anybody? Say yes. If, anybody? 
You and I, the Bible says, we have the capacity to hear God's voice. You and I could develop the ability, not audibly, but to sense his promptings and his leadings in such a way that we could actually hear God's voice. Does that blow anybody else's mind away? That the creator God of the universe has the ability to lead and to speak through his promptings and through his leadings. But here's the thing, church, you ready? When the Holy Spirit speaks to you about something and you don't respond in obedience, it's eventually going to lead to a hardened heart. When the Holy Spirit comes to you, and all of you that have Jesus, the personal Holy Spirit, inside your heart, you know this. He comes and through promptings and leadings speaks to you. And when you don't respond in obedience, but you ignore the voice, ignore the voice, ignore the voice. You lose the capacity to hear that voice. It's not because God doesn't love you. It's not because God isn't speaking. But you lose the capacity to hear. How many of you guys know what this is about? Yeah. I would say 70, 80% of my counseling sessions with people have something along the lines of, if they are finding themselves in a situation, they say, literally, they go, Peter, God spoke to me. Peter, God said, Peter, God And I just ignored it. I just ignored it. I just did my thing. What happened then? Well, eventually I just stopped hearing. This, by the way, is one of the reasons why I tell people, keep short accounts with God and with people. Practice daily the discipline of confession and repentance of your sin. Let me say that again. How many of us just go to bed at night and go, bad, bad day, terrible day? And don't even give it a thought. Do you realize that day after day after day after day after day after day after day of doing that could possibly affect your ability to hear God's voice? Keep short accounts with God and with others. Walk according to the Spirit. Starting my day, continuing my day, sensitive to, think relationship, dependent upon, think relationship, the inner promptings, relationship, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Okay, everybody look up here. This is going to sound a little bit, but I, just hang in there with me, okay? This is, when we're talking about empowerment of the Holy Spirit, when I come against that temptation, when I come against those emotions that derail me, when I come against those thought patterns, when I come against that person, when I come against those things, it's pausing and acknowledging. Let me say it again. It's pausing and acknowledging. Holy Spirit, I can't do this. I can't handle this temptation. But you did. You were tempted. Every way, and you sin not. And you, Holy Spirit, live inside of me. Did you ever think about that? Did you ever think about the fact that the person who was tempted in every way and did not sin, he lives inside of you and me in the person of the Holy Spirit. Just pausing and acknowledging, Holy Spirit, I can't overcome this temptation, but you did, and you live inside of me. Holy Spirit, I can't love this person right now. I can't, but you can. 
and you live inside of me to empower me and to enable me to do that, which I don't have the ability to do. So I am, here's the part, trusting in your enablement and your power and your life in me. Holy Spirit and walking in him is activating your faith that he can do this before you will. It's in some ways believing in his enablement before you actually behave. Now, question I get a lot from people is this. Peter, is there time to do that? Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys already know the temptations that most of the time come your way? Of course you do. How many of you know that person that you have a difficult time loving every time you're in their presence? Ah, how many? In other words, how many of us are truly taken aback by our temptations and our struggles? Like we're walking around going, whoa, where did that come from? I never experienced that before. No. 99% of us, we're sitting there going, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Of course you have time to do this. Of course you have time to do this. When you come against that and those rush of thoughts come, it's pausing and acknowledging. I can't do this, Holy Spirit. But you can, you did, you live inside of me. Enable me to do that, which I can. I am see- How many of you know the temptations and struggles that are going to come at you at 8.30 tomorrow morning? Of course you do. That's why one of the best things you can do is the first thing you get up in the morning, get out of your bed, get on your knees and go, Holy Spirit, I can't do anything this day that's going to come my way. I need you. I need you. Then get up. Then when you walk into the office, there she is. I can't do it. I can't do it. Of course you can't. So pause and say, Holy Spirit, I don't have the ability to love, but you can. You did. You live inside of me. Enable me. Empower me. Pausing. Acknowledging. That takes all of like three seconds of the temptations and struggles that have plagued you for years and years. Is this making any sense? You don't need to wait until you are in the thick of battle. How am I arguing in front? Wait a minute, why am I doing this again? Why am I? I call it um, creating space for the Holy Spirit and having him fill it. When I pause, acknowledge, I create space for the Holy Spirit, and he comes and fills that. Holy Spirit, I can't. Pause. Fill it. But you can. Empower me. Holy Spirit, I can't. Fill it. Space. In such a way that his influence and his leading dominate our entire This is huge. The length of time it takes for you to catch on to this relationship is completely up to you and not God. Can I say that again? The length of time it takes on to catch on to this relationship with the Holy Spirit, learning how to walk by the Spirit depends on why. We don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us. Amen. He's waiting on us. 
And for some of us, it's going to take much longer than it needs to catch on. Do you know why? Because many of us don't want to be led by the Spirit. To be more specific, many of us don't want to be led by anyone other than ourselves. We don't want to be led by anyone other than ourselves. You love being in control. You don't want to let go of control. You use all kinds of spiritual language around it, but you know who you are. Can I just admission time? How many of us struggle with this? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yes. You want to be in control of your life. I want to be in control of my life. The idea of giving up control is terrifying. Because we go, well, Peter, if I do that, what if God asked me to do that? Yeah, maybe. What if God asked me to do this? Yeah, maybe. Go there? Yeah. Give this up? Yeah. Go. We like our tidy little lives. Amen to that. We like making little sacrifices, not big ones. Big amen to that. We like where we live, most definitely. We like being comfortable, most certainly. And deep down inside, we know that if all of a sudden we began to follow God, it may get uncomfortable, it may get difficult, and it may be costly. And church, you would be absolutely right. Here's an infallible rule. You ready? There's no such thing as change without discomfort. There's no such thing as change without discomfort. Change, any sort of change, will mean that things will be uncomfortable because change inevitably brings about uncertainty, lack of control, and the unfamiliar. Why would God ask me to go and do something I normally would not want or choose? Because that's the only way that you will grow. And God has never been committed to your comfort. He's committed to your holiness. See, church, you don't need the ministry of the Holy Spirit if your number one value in life is comfort. The Holy Spirit is referred to as a comforter. But why would you need a comforter if your life is already comfortable? But you will need the Holy Spirit if you want to do everything Jesus commanded and teach others to do the same. Um, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? If you're hearing, I'm hungry, that's not the Holy Spirit, by the way. <clears throat> Walk by the Spirit, then he gives a promise. John Pendleton, are you in here? Brother, I, I think you and I may have a conversation... I had numerous conversations with people, and this is, this is something that, 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 for me, I've had a hard time coming around, but it's just so, no, it wasn't you, John, it was somebody else. Anyway, he gives a promise. <laughs> Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and what does it say? Read it with me, ready? Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. In other words, the goal in our Christian life, the goal is that Christian life, is not do my best to not sin. The goal of the Christian life for those that grew up in church is not here's a list of things I'm not supposed to do and the whole goal of the Christian life is to make sure that I don't do these things. 
Because when the whole goal of the Christian life becomes about what I'm not supposed to do, they become our focus. And what we focus on, we drift towards. You notice that? So some of us, are, our entire Christian life is about, well, these are things I'm not supposed to do. And I was a good youth group kid and I learned that. And the Bible says it's just a positive approach. He says what? The goal of the Christian life is to learn to do this one thing that is walk according to the Spirit. And the net result, the outcome of that is not only will our behavior change, but our desires will change. You will never truly experience transformation if all you work on is your behavior and do nothing about your desires. And the Bible is saying, Learn just one thing. Walk according to the Spirit, and certain things will lose fascination. I used to be really interested. Oh, I'm not interested in that anymore. Certain things, all of a sudden, will, well, you'll spend all day with your kids and realize, I didn't lose my temper today. You'll walk away from a heated argument and realize, I was a good witness for Jesus. And all of those examples, it's not try harder, commit more, more sermons, more Bible. I got to read that, or I got to listen to that five times again because I don't think I quite. It's as you walk according to one, one thing, as you learn to walk according to the Spirit, as you live my life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings and the power of the Holy Spirit so that it will dominate my entire being. Now, if only I can live that and say it as well as that. Then the Bible says the net result is not only will your behavior, but your desire. I can't wait to talk more about that, you guys, when we come to this passage again. Just as nobody, encouragement real quick. Just as nobody comes out of the womb walking, nobody becomes a Christian and then immediately walks according to the Spirit. Is that good news to anybody? Just as when toddlers, and I'm father of three kids, every single one of them have to go through the process. They all came out of the womb and they couldn't walk. I wish they could. It saved me a whole lot of Actually, it's not about me today. It would have saved my wife. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, <laughs> let's be true. Uh, let's be, come on, let's be real. I did like 10% of the work. She did like 90. Um, and the reason I mentioned that is because when my kids were learning how to walk, none of them was like, Noah, first time, first couple of tries, fall on his face. Noah doesn't go, oh, I should be able to walk by now. I'm going to call crawl for the rest of the day. That's what you're going to do. Nobody does that. In other words, kids have this innate, like, extend grace. I'm going to learn. I'm going to be patient. And you're going to take just as much time to learn how to walk. It takes patience and grace. You're not going to walk out of the sermon today going, okay, well, learn how to walk. I'm going to. It's going to take days and weeks, months. I've been a Christian for 30-some years, years, and I'm still learning how to be sensitive to and dependent upon the inner prompting and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that His entire being and influence dominates my life. You know why this is important? Because the opposite of walking according to the Spirit is what the Bible calls walking according to the flesh. And walking according to the flesh is not some deviant, sexual, immoral thing in a corner, you know? 
especially in the church, walking according to the It's not that. Let me show you what walking according to Well, let's read this passage together, and then I'll show you what walking according to the flesh is. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh, that's walking according to the flesh, are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. And the Bible says, listen, Either you are walking according to the Spirit, Christian or not, or you're walking according to the flesh. There's no in-between. Either you are walking according to the Spirit or walking according to the flesh. There's no in-between. Here's what it means to walk according to the flesh. Oh, read this with me. Here we go. Walking according to the flesh is trusting in my strength and determination to bring about whatever changes I feel need to take place. It's retaining control over my life. It's giving primary consideration to my needs, my desires, my appetites, and my fears when making decisions. Walking according to the flesh. Trusting in my strength and my determination to bring about whatever changes I feel need to take place. Can I just ask, how many of us are operating from this perspective? I just had this conversation with somebody this week, and I just had to tell them, you and I cannot on our own, apart from the Holy Spirit, produce changes on our own. And it's not because there's something wrong with you. You're not equipped to. You're not equipped to. Jesus, John 15, 5, I'm going to read it again. I'm divine. You tell me what your part is and Jesus' part is. I'm divine. You're the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What's our part? Our part is to bear, is to abide. His part? Produce change. Our part? Bear, abide. His part, produce change. We wrongly assume that it's our responsibility to produce righteousness. And if it's our responsibility to produce self-control, love, patience, and peace, why do you need to send the Holy Spirit? Why do you need to send the Holy Spirit? We're not equipped, the Bible says, to produce change, but just to bear it. So we do nothing. No. Our responsibility is to abide. Our responsibility is to remain. That is, consciously depend on the Spirit to produce His fruit through us. Our potential for change, to love, to be patient, self-control, our potential to live out our lives radically, is the extent to which we are abiding, completely dependent on Him to do that only what He can do. I don't normally bring long quotes. This quote from Oswald Chambers, I wanted to bring because it perfectly captures what we're talking about. If Jesus ever commanded us to do something that He was unable to equip us to accomplish, He would be a liar. And if we make our own inability a stumbling block or an excuse not to be obedient, it means that we are telling God that there is something which he has not yet taken into account. If you don't know who Oswald Chambers is, Google is your friend, okay? Here's the next quote. Every element of our own self-reliance must be put to death by the power of God. The amount we recognize our complete weakness and our dependence upon him will be the very moment that the Spirit of God will exhibit his power. (laughs) 
walk according to the flesh, trusting in my strength and my determination. Not only that, but it's retaining control over my life. How many of us are sitting here today going, Lord, please don't ask me to. Dot, dot, dot. As soon as we say that, we've retained control of our lives. The breakthrough, the breakthrough for some of us in this room, in the Christian life, will begin the moment we realize we are not in control of anything, and that causes us to recognize and actually yield and surrender ourselves to the Spirit's leading. That's when the Christian life will become real to us. Uh, let me finish here. Walking according to flesh is giving primary consideration to my needs and my desires, my appetites, and my fears when making decisions. In other words, it's all about me. It's utter self-absorption. The whole universe revolves around me. When we walk according to the flesh, including God. I love um, Eugene Peterson's version of what happens when we walk according to the Spirit. Because this is the result of walking according to the flesh. I mean, walking according to the flesh. Galatians 5, 19. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. That's walking according to the flesh. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental, emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper. An impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addiction. Walk according to the Spirit. Live my life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner prompting and the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way that His influence and presence dominate my being. Or we are walking according to the flesh, trusting in my strength and my determination to bring about whatever changes I feel need to take place. I retain control of my life. It becomes about my needs, my fears, my desires, my appetites when making decisions. The question in the Christian life, church family, is not how well do you know, how many times have you read, how often do you pray. The Christian life, the question is how well, how closely are you walking according to the Spirit? If this is the case, is it important that we get to know Him? Church, is it important that we become aware of His ways? Is it important that we be able to follow the ways in which he moves? Yeah, that's why for the next two weeks, we're going to continue to talk about who is he, what does he do? And by the way, we are going to at some point talk about him, spirit, empowering us for mission. I can't wait to get to that, Acts 2. And how he guides us to direction and future, how he speaks through various other people. We're going to talk about prophecy. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts. But I'm telling you, the foundation to which all of this is under is, are you walking according to the spirit, walking according to the flesh? Here's what I want to end with today. If this is who he is, Here's what I want to remind you. Holy Spirit has a will. 
1 Corinthians 12, 11. But one in the same spirit works all these things, depending on each one individually, just as he will. Holy Spirit is a personal God, and he says, I have a will. So what does that mean when it comes to walking with him? Three points, application, I'm done. Number one, forget about God's will for your life. Forget about God's will for your life. What do I mean? God cares more about the spirits leading today in the next 10 minutes than about what we intend to do next year. God, the Holy Spirit, church, cares more about the fact that we are right now sensitive to and responsive to his leading in the next five, ten minutes today than he is about what we do next year. Matter of fact, our ability to make good decisions next year will be directly related to how well we respond to his leading right now. Amen? Forget about God's will. Why? Because so many of us in our name of, I want to know God's will for my life five years from now, ten years from now, we're using that today as an excuse for our disobedience and lack of action. Because it's much comfortable, much more sanitary, much more, I don't know, easier to talk about, yeah, God is, I wonder what he wants me to do, than to realize, hey, next ten minutes, I have something for you. Today, I have something for you. God cares more about our lead, our being following his leading. God cares more about the fact that he is constantly at work speaking, prompting, and leading right now, this day, tomorrow, than our, than our obsession with God's will for next year, two years from now. God never promises a 20-year plan, and he never promises to reveal that to you. Do you know why? Because for 90% of us, if God goes, here's your 20-year plan, it will become all about the plan and not about God. And God cares more that you seek him than you do his will for your 20-year plan. Am I making any sense? God says, for some of us, for some of us, what God might be saying right now is, as you're thinking about your future, as you're thinking about that person in marriage, and as you're thinking about that, God might be saying, don't seek my will in this matter. Seek me. Seek me. Seek me. Because in seeking me, then you'll know. be keeping you from a spirit-filled life has all along been, God, I want to know 10, 15, 20, and in the entire time, you're missing what God wants to do right now. Right now. I think God intentionally, and this might be because I pastored this church, God intentionally puts us through what seems like holding patterns in our lives, in our careers, because he wants us to learn what it means to seek his will for today, for the next 10 minutes, because it's in doing that that we'll discover his will for the big things in life. Hey, are you missing some incredible things that God wants to do in your life right now? Right now, because you're consumed with, what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? How? 
God's going, I've got assignments for you. Right now. If there's anybody sitting there going, but I still want to know 10-year plan. Let me just ask older, older, older church family members. Uh, church, if you knew 10 years ago everything that you had to go through, everything that you had to go through to come to where you are today, would you still want to know 10 years ago what you know now? Answer, no! You know why? Because you'd freak out. You would freak out. If God said, here's your next 10 years, you'd be like, I don't want to know. Older saints, is that true? You have no clue right now. I still, no, you don't. It's better to go daily, moment, amen, moment by moment. I'm telling you. Because God loves you, God says, follow me right now in this moment. Seek him today. Seek him today right now. Secondly, acknowledge and appropriate. Acknowledge and appropriate. Everybody, 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 I'm almost done. Do this breathing exercise with me. Ready? Breathe. Breathe in. <gasps> I can't. Hold it there so you know you really can't. And then breathe out. <sighs> but you can. <gasps> I can't. <sighs> but you can. First thing in the morning. <gasps> I can't do this thing. I can't. But you can. Go to work. There she is. <gasps> I can't. But you can. Mom, here are my kids. <gasps> I can't. <laughs> Your kids are in there go, Daddy, what's mommy's new breathing exercise? Let me show you. <gasps> I can't. <sighs> you can. There's a temptation. I'm opening my computer. <gasps> I'm with her, she's with me, and we know where this might lead for the next hour. <gasps> I can't, but you can. <gasps> I can't pause, acknowledge. Do you know that this could become almost innate in your life when you do it long enough? So that without you going, <gasps> breathe in, <gasps> breathe out, <gasps> breathe in, <laughs> breathe out, your coworker's like, what the heck are you doing? It becomes innate. Before you even realize it, I can't, but you can. I can't, but you can. I can't, but you can. And by the way, can we just extend grace? When we see one of our brothers and sisters in the church doing that in our presence, just smile and go. <laughs> I have to say this. What if some of you are sitting there going, I ask God for more powerful work of the Spirit. Peter, what you're talking about right now, and nothing happens. Because I've seen that fear cause some Christians to what I'll call cover for God. Because we're afraid that God might not come through, we expect less, we become satisfied with less, and we even convince ourselves that we want less because we're afraid. Can I tell you what God, Jesus said? Luke 13, 11, 13. <laughs> If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God doesn't need your convincing today going, God, will you? He is more than ready and willing. <gasps> I can't. <gasps> I can't. <gasps> I can't. <gasps> I can't, but you can. <gasps> I can't. <gasps> Lastly, see if you can come on up. Surrender. 
some of you knew maybe this is where we were going to land because you know I talk about this all the time. Now you know why I talk about surrender all the time because it's literally at the essence of what it means to live the Christian life, walk over in spirit. The one decision needed to experience the Spirit's leading is the act. Let me say that again. The act, not just the words, act of surrender. Where we say, Jesus, you heal, you lead, I will follow. You lead, I will follow. Take a look at your prayer life. Take a look at your prayer life. One of my good friends in our church, Byron, always tells me, and I love it. I love it. He goes, I get up every morning and I just simply pray for God's will. How many of us get up in the morning and pray for God for stuff? When's the last time you just simply pray for his will? God, I ask for your will. God, I ask for your will. Not stuff, I ask for your will. But my marriage, I know about I ask for your will. My future, God, I ask for your will. How many of you regularly, I just simply ask for your will? Take a look at your prayer life. Who's behind the wheel? Is it possible? Is it possible to receive the power to live the Christian life? The answer is absolutely yes. But the Bible says to do so, you have to hand over your keys. You have to hand over your keys. And two things will happen. Number one, some of you will finally understand the peace that surpasses all understanding. You know why? Because if you're in control, you are driving yourself and everybody around you crazy. You're driving people crazy. They just love you too much to tell you. I'm telling you, you're driving them crazy. Why? Because if you're in control, you're in charge of outcomes. You are not in charge of outcomes. God is. Let it go. Let it go. Secondly, the thing that happened for some of you, all of a sudden, it's like your ears are going to pop open and go, whoa, what's that? You know what that is? That's you hearing from God. You know what? Because if your posture is, God, I want you to help me with my will, my agenda for my life. Why would God speak to you? Why would God speak to somebody who goes, I just need you to sign on that line. Here's my will for my life. You call all kinds of spiritual language. I surrender all of my plans so you can sign it. And God's going, why would I? But the moment you go, your will, not mine, I fully surrender. God goes, that's just a green light for me to speak. Spirit-filled life. What do you need to surrender? Future relationships, your children, family. Some of us, our sexuality. And surrender for some of us will oftentimes involve our finances because money is all about control and trust. And as you surrender that area, I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, the Holy Spirit will call you to do something, to do something. Because surrender will always involve an act of surrender. And in fear, you're going to say no, then you have to decide. Well, I surrender this when it means doing something uncomfortable. But if it was comfortable to do it, it wouldn't be surrender. If it was comfortable and easy to do it, it wouldn't be surrender. So here's the amazing thing. Our God is intimately aware of surrender. Our Jesus, in the night, he looks at this says, let this cup pass from me. But God, Father, not my will, but yours be done. 
And the reason why I want to point you right now to the cross is you fear the, I don't know if I can give this up. I've been in control church. When God says give it up, it's to point to the cross and saying his surrender led to a resurrection. His surrender led to a resurrection. That's why Jesus comes and says, unless you die to your life, you can never begin to live anew. Unless you die to your old self, you can never begin to live anew. Death to ourselves, surrender to our will, and saying, your will is the beginning of life. you do this exercise just for the next minute or so? See, some of you, as you sit there, you, 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 throughout the sermon, the Holy Spirit has been speaking, and He has brought to mind, He has brought to clarity in your heart right now that thing that you are not willing to surrender, or those things you are not willing to surrender, those things about what you're saying, God, please don't ask me to, please don't. You are fully, fully, in charge of that, not God. And the quietness of your heart right now, right now, right now, give it to Him. Give it to Him. Maybe you pray, God, I want your will for this, not mine. Maybe it's God. Ugh, I... I'm tired of carrying this burden. I laid at the foot of the cross. Whatever prayer looks like for you, take that, those things. Surrender. Glad, joyful acknowledgement that there is a God. It's not you. There is a God. It's not us.